0: For those of you who are uh, going to be participating in Big Kid City, uh, head towards the back. For the rest of us, we are going to be g- jumping back into Ephesians chapter 4, so turn with me there. And while you are turning and while everybody is kind of moving around, I've got a, uh, I've got a confession uh, for you guys. I don't know if you remember your first trophy. The first trophy that you ever earned, but uh, I actually do. Uh, My first trophy uh, was not something that I got for getting first place or second place or third place. I I grew up uh, in Asia and uh, uh, they uh, do not hand out trophies for anything other than first, uh, second, and third place. There is no consolation prize, there's no participation award or anything like that. So my dad decided to make me a trophy. I had run my first 5K race. And uh, I had uh, run it okay, but I certainly had not won. And my dad, uh, being very, very sweet and amazing as a dad, but also uh, maybe a little self-serving because he was a marathoner and wanted me also, with my natural running physique, uh, to be also a runner. So he made me a trophy. And it did not say first, second, or third place. It said first race. So not first place, first race, and it had my time on it. And uh, that was sweet, Um, and looking back on it, I really uh, love my dad for doing something like that, but it's also something where I have like Robert Parr, aka Mr. Incredible's words saying in my head that we're finding new ways as a culture to celebrate mediocrity. And I think that uh, a lot of us remember maybe even that specific line from Incredibles 1 because there's more depth and truth to that one line than most of the other nonsense and all of the other kids' movies that say, you can do it, because there just seems to be something in that statement that uh, resonates with truth. So, this morning, what I want to ask you uh, in light of my unworthiness to receive that trophy is, are you worthy? It's a simple question. Are you worthy But in reflection, it's not one that's easy to answer. In fact, for most of us, uh, maybe even the answer back would be, well, worthy of what? What are you talking about? Worthy of what? And what what I mean to actually ask is the literal question, are you worthy? Are you worthy? Do you feel or know that you are valuable? This, this may even be something where we have a generational gap on this question. Back in 1950, uh, the Gallup organization polled a group of high schoolers, uh, high school seniors, they were graduating with one simple question. It was not like a multi-tiered question. There was one question, and it was, do you consider yourself to be a very important person? And and these high school seniors had just seen the people just older than them run off to war. Many of those people were coming back and being celebrated in parades as heroes. And so the answer to that question for that generation, are you a very important person, a very important person, was uh, 12% said yes, 12%. They recreated this about 55 years later in uh, 2005. This would have been very much, I graduated in 2002. They recreated that exact poll, and it was not 12% that they said that they were a very important person anymore. It was 80%. Eighty percent of high school seniors in 2005 said that they were very important people, and I think maybe even nestled in that statistic is one single puzzle piece. Not the whole thing, but a puzzle piece of the uh, current mental health crisis in our culture. Let Let me kind of explain what I'm talking about. As a culture, we have spent the better part of the last 55 years telling children that they are unique and that they are special, that they are worthy it may not have been your parents, but it was certainly teachers and Sesame Street. All of those things have been spending the last many years telling us how wonderful we are, and we believe them. We have believed them. Now, you might, you might answer back to that and just say, hey, you know, uh, what's wrong with that? All of us are created in the image and glory of God, All of us are fearfully and wonderfully made, so what is wrong with telling our kids that they are unique and special, to which I would say, if that's the reason why you're telling your kids that, that's amazing. That's a good, strong worldview. But the problem is, is that once we reach adulthood, the world does not continue to extend that same message of dignity to all peoples. It doesn't. It may, this may be subtle. It's not even necessarily something that's specific, uh, but uh, it's it's something that we don't tell people that they're worthy once they come into adulthood. Why? Because we have a broad range of different things that we use to value people's worth. We use things as a society like fame and finance and beauty and fashion. We use position and power and prestige to decide what somebody is worth. Uh, the first name that we uh, first thing that we ask people is hey, what's your name? It's nice to meet you. What do you do? We're already starting to decide, hey, how worthy is this person? So, people grew up into this kind of chaos and double-mindedness, both feeling exceedingly worthy as kids that were told that they were worthy and also unworthy because the things that the world tells them are worthy, maybe they don't have, and it expresses itself in our culture through entitlement, bitterness, on the other side, it expresses itself towards conceitedness and narcissism. It expresses itself in terms of depression and self-loathing. We feel as if we deserve more income. If we're really honest, some of us deserve, uh, feel like we deserve a uh, better spouse. Some of us feel like we maybe uh, deserve a better job and more freedom. So, we feel as though we deserve these things and yet disdain ourselves kind of secretly in the quietness of our own mind when we see our own weaknesses, our own failures, And we've built an entire culture in social media that actually actively pushes this on us. We've built a culture that tells everybody that they ought to be praised and rewarded for celebrating themselves all the time with friends and likes and hearts. You ought to be celebrated. Speak your truth. Build your brand. Get your likes. See if you can even monetize it. We are living in a YouTube world world, and we can see it. We can see it even in the uh, forensic psychology and sociology uh, departments. They're polling people, and they literally have this test they've been using for the better part of the last century called the Narcissism Test. This is a test of 30 to 40 questions, and it's just… it's not even questions, it's two things that you agree one or the other with. It's questions or or thoughts like, uh, I'm an extraordinary person, I find it easy to manipulate others to get what I want. Somebody should write a biography about me. Those are like the things that people could agree with on a, a narcissist. So we're not talking about like, hey, that person's a narcissist. We're talking about people that are being like studied for narcissism. And as a society, we've seen a 30% increase in the median narcissism score across America. 30% increase. And of course, that makes sense. Everything is telling us to promote ourselves. We are number one. But in the midst of all of that narcissism, all the while, people are becoming more lonely, more dissatisfied, more anxious, and more depressed. So I want to ask you again. I want to ask you a question, and then I want to explore the answer of this with you this morning. Are you worthy? Are you worthy? Are you valuable? And in the madness that may come into your mind, Paul this morning in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 cuts through all of that with an urgent message. He even says that it's urgent. Read with me here. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is the Word of the Lord. Christians, we find in this passage, are to be walking in worthy worship. Christians walk in worthy worship. Now, there's some context for us, just in case you haven't been with us for the last week. We see uh, Paul say, I therefore. There's a word uh, therefore at the beginning of all of this, and it acts as a pivot in the book of Ephesians. He starts chapter 4 with a pivot. He says, we've been spending the last three chapters... Building a foundation for worship. In fact, we as a church have been going through those last three chapters, building a foundation of worship in this uh, new vision that we have to see a revival of joyful worship that, uh, that advances into every generation. We've been building a foundation of worship, but Paul says, therefore, and he's going to pivot from building a foundation of worship to actually walking in worship walking on that foundation of worship. So, this new series that we're uh, coming into is walking in worship, and we will explore things like this morning, which is walking in worthy worship. We'll be walking in God's gracious gifts next week, walking unlike the world in the week after, walking in love, walking as husbands and wives, children and parents, employers, employees. We'll be exploring what this life of worship looks like, walking in in worship. If Paul's letter to the Ephesians were a sermon, we are entering the application section. In the previous chapters, chapters 1 through 3, there was one commandment, and it was to remember. It was to remember where we had come from. And in the coming chapters, we will see uh, directive after directive we will see thing after thing that, uh, that uh, enunciates what a life of worship looks like, and we will be using the word walk, walk, walk all the way through the passages. There are three words for us this morning that we must understand in order to receive Paul's urgent message to us this morning. Those words are walk, worthy, and calling. Let's explore each one of these. Walk. Paul uses throughout the rest of this letter to talk about living upon this worship foundation, the word walk. Paul urges Christians to walk or to live in a specific way. And what we're going to find this week and the weeks after is that that walk is going to look different. It's going to look different. Why? Because Paul knows that everyone's lives are a demonstration of what they really value. Paul knows that everyone's lives are a demonstration of what they really value. You, me, everyone. You may say, Well, I don't really know what I value. How do I know what I value? Look at the way that you walk well, I don't really do anything with my life. Exactly. You're going to find out exactly what you value by examining this life that you live, and Paul here is going to give us an urgent message to walk differently because he knows that it really matters. Paul knows that everyone's lives are a demonstration of what they really value, and so the Christian's walk, the Christian's life ought to look different. Now, this is not a new concept. We see this all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 11, where uh, we hear that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with our souls and walk in His ways. And furthermore, we're not just to walk in His ways, we're to teach our children how in walking by the way. As we literally walk along this path of life, we're supposed to be walking out the things that we really believe and value, and we're supposed to be teaching those things as we walk along the way to our children. So, I want you to hear this morning, Paul urges the Ephesians. He urges you to walk. Why? I think that he knows that it's because it's It's tempting in some ways to be inactive in this faith that you have. For you to say that you believe in the foundation, which is Jesus Christ and his gospel, the saving faith of Jesus and the love of the saints. It's easy to say that, and yet it's tempting to be inanimate in it. And so Paul urges us to walk. He urges us to rise and walk, for us to have a vigorous walk. But the next question for us should be, okay, I get it, I'm supposed to arise and walk out in the things that I really value, but in what way should I be walking? And that's the second word that we have. We're to walk in a manner worthy. The second word is worthy. Paul, this prisoner of the Lord, urges us to walk in a manner worthy. Now, I don't want you to get ahead of me here because we obviously see what he's calling us to in that passage, what worthy way we are supposed to be going, but I don't want you to get ahead of me because we might miss the fuller picture here. We are to be walking in a worthy manner But that is not necessarily a good thing if the object uh, that you are walking in, if the object that you are walking towards is unworthy. So, I want to give you an example of this to see what I mean. Uh, Not everything that you're walking in is worthy. For some of us, I I grew up in a household where, uh, for better or worse, my dad would say, hey, listen, that's, that's not what tailors do. You need to be living out in a way that is worthy of our family. And I got from a really early age that my, uh, my action or inaction in certain things reflected on the name of my family. And, and to me, that was okay. It was good because I grew up in a family that I was proud of and that I, I loved being a part of. It was a huge gift. And so, uh, to ask me as a young man to walk in a manner worthy of my family was actually inspiring. Some of you may not have come from a family like that. To have heard, hey, listen, walk in a manner worthy of your family, you would think about all of the failings of your family, the disintegration of your family. It wouldn't be inspiring. That worthiness there wouldn't carry the same weight. You can do this with very, very many things, talking about uh, if, the things, the, if the object that you are pursuing is worthy, then the walk is good. But what I want us to get is for us to understand and we need to be worthy of a new way of walking. We need to be worthy in this new manner of walking. Now I want for us to go back and, and see now that this uh, chaos that is created in our minds when we talk about being worthy, uh, the chaos is real and it makes sense because the world either tells you when you're young to be worthy of yourself hey, listen, you're unique, you're special, you're amazing, you do you. The world would want you to know as a little kid, hey, listen, you're worthy, go and just be yourself. And what we need to understand is, is, and most of us, I think, get this, is that to be worthy of oneself at some point is kind of vacuous. Because when we look internal, when we look at ourselves, maybe we don't find something that is truly worthy of living up to. In fact, it doesn't really make all that much sense to me to be worthy of yourself because at some level, uh, you have to be formed by some things outside of yourself to command a two-year-old to be worthy of themselves. doesn't make a whole lot of sense because themselves is not a thing really yet. We understand that being worthy of ourselves maybe is a bit vacuous, but then on the other side, when we grow into adulthood, we understand that what is worthy of the world may be unvaluable, or that the things, maybe even worse, that the world says is valuable are lies that we have believed are valuable, but for most of us, they are unattainable. The world tells us, hey, listen, beauty is unattainable, and you can't afford the right fashion to get there. The finances are how you really judge your worthiness, but you don't have much money. And so we find that the world's desires for our worth, the definition of the world's, uh, what the world calls is worthy, is not worthy. And even if it were, it's unattainable. And for those of us who attain it, it is fleeting. So it's not surprising then that we are called by Paul to be worthy of something outside of ourselves and outside of the world. says you're to walk in a manner worthy. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, but worthy of what? Go here with me, of the calling to which you have been called. In fact, Paul almost seems to re-emphasize this in verse 4 by saying that we were called to the one hope that belongs to our call. He's using this word calling four times because Paul wants us to know that there is a calling that is placed at the center of our lives, And that this call is something that we ought to be worthy of walking out in, living out in. But what is this calling? We have to go all the way back to our foundations of worship to know what is worthy. We have to know uh, what that calling is. We have to go all the way back to uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter 1, uh, verse 15 says that our calling is our saving faith in the Lord Jesus and our love towards all the saints. What is our calling? It's faith in Jesus, and it's our love of saints. We see our calling is not vacuously inward to ourselves. It's not discouragingly downward to the world, but it is gloriously upward to Jesus Christ and generously outward to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what our calling is. So, if we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, this calling seems to be very worthy and very valuable because it is upward towards Jesus and it is generously outward towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is such good news. It's such good news that our life and our life's worth is not centered on ourselves or dependent on the world. Why? Because every other source of worth Will leave you feeling trapped in a dungeon of despair with a sense of worthlessness. Every other thing that you try to worship, that you try to find worthy, will leave you in a dungeon of despair with a sense of worthlessness. I want, you don't have to turn with me, but I'm going to turn to uh, Revelations uh, chapter 5, verse 9. What has happened in Revelation chapter 5 is is that uh, there is this scroll, and it is sealed up, and a call goes out to everyone and says, who is worthy to open the scroll? And nobody is found. And you know what happens to all of the creatures of God's kingdom? They begin to weep because there is no one worthy that is found. And then one Appearing as a lamb who is slain, our Savior Jesus enters in, and they find the one who is worthy. And when He is able to take the scroll out of hand and to open up, they sang a new song saying, "'Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you were ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation.'" pay attention to this, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Did you catch what just happened there? There was one person in all of heaven and earth who was worthy to take the scroll and to open it, and when he did, every shout, everyone went from weeping to shouting out with praise, and then they said something very interesting. This one who was worthy takes with him this group of people that he shares his worthiness with, and he actually makes rulers alongside of him. So, when we ask that question, are you worthy? For the Christian, the good news is, yes, I am worthy. The good news of the gospel is not that you can find your worth inside yourself or here in the things of this world. The good news of the gospel is that the one who is worthy has shared his worthiness with you. The one who is worthy has shared his worthiness with you. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with one loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Disciple of Jesus, you are worthy because you worship the one who is worthy. And what Paul says is, because you are worthy, because you have been made to be worthy by the one who is worthy, walk out in worthy worship. Walk in worthy worship. So what does this life of worthy worship look like? Thankfully, Paul spends the rest of this passage through verse 6 telling us what it looks like. He says that the worthy life looks like a few things. A worthy life is marked, one, by fruit of the Spirit. Go with me in verse 2. It says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, in love, the bond of peace. These are things that should be ringing bells for us by saying, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Walk out and walking out in worthy worship looks like being marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, peace, these are the things of the kingdom. And at that time and still today, the idea of these things being worthy and being becoming is, is just unfathomable to people. At that time, in ancient societies, they were about pride and valor and passions and reason and conquering. Today, you are judged by your reputation, your achievement, your circle of friends, your vacation photos. These symbols of worth are depressingly elusive. They are reserved for the gifted and the educated and the wealthy, but in God's kingdom, a doctor has no more access to love and gentleness and peace than a janitor does. Do you get that? Rich people do not have more worth than you do. Beautiful people do not have more worth than you do in God's kingdom. The many things that this world wants to lie to your heart and tell you are worthy are unworthy. They're unbecoming of a child of the king. You have the same access to the things of God's kingdom. The Spirit will enable you to walk like Jesus walks, full of patience, unending humility, vast love. A worthy life is walked marked by the fruit of the Spirit. But the worthy life is also sacrificial, just like Jesus' life. This this picture that is painted of this future event where all of the things in heaven say worthy is the Lamb who is slain gives us a pattern. Jesus' cross gives us a pattern. Why? Because Jesus gave everything, even His own life, so it's no wonder that the worthy life is sacrificial. Verse 2 says that we ought to be humble, that we ought to bear with one another, that we ought to be striving to maintain the unity. If you are seeking to do these things just as Jesus did, it will require self-sacrifice from you. The worthy life is sacrificial. In His kingdom, you receive by giving, you are filled up by being poured out, the unworthy are made worthy, and Jesus gives us the pattern for it. Jesus not counting equality of God with God a thing to be grasped emptied himself becoming like us in human form and then he was obedient to the calls of the father even to the point of death on a cross and then God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name the worthy life is marked by the fruit of the spirit and it is sacrificial. You will sacrifice as a part of this worthy walk. But finally, a worthy life is unified with God and his people. Remember back from chapter 1 where we decided that, uh, that uh, and we're told by Paul, that the calling that we have is faith in Jesus and it's love of His saints. Remember that that calling uh, is, is integrated in with faith in Jesus and love of saints. Here in verse 4, we see that all of that stuff is being unified together. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. That's the kind of kingdom that God is building. Before the great rebellion against God, you know who walked? You know who walked with God? Adam and Eve did. Can you even imagine? I want you to, in this moment, in this very moment, imagine what it would be like to be in a perfect garden walking with God. Walking with your Creator. Imagine the intimacy of being with God without anything being able to hinder or separate you from your Creator. Before the fall, there was no fear or hostility between mankind, and Jesus comes to reunite us with the Father and to unify humans one to another. Our lives are expressed. Our lives are expressed by this unity. Our walk is something that is meant to express this recreated reality, this new kingdom that we see in verses 4 through 6. Our lives are to be marked by the one body that is unified, the one Spirit that is indwelling, the one Lord that is over us, the one faith that we have in Him, the one symbol that we have in baptism to show that we have died and been raised to new life, the one God and Father of all. Our lives are to be marked by His being over all and through all and in all for your whole life. Your life, Christian, is to be marked by that kind of unity, unity with God the Father, unity with one another the worthy life is marked by the fruit of the spirit it is sacrificial and it is unified with god and his people therefore i urge you just like paul to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in jesus that's what we're going to be after in the book of ephesians beloved that's what we're going to be doing together As we walk through the rest of winter and into spring, we're going to be learning what this worthy walk looks like. I want want you to join with me in that. I want you to hear this urgent call to walk out in a manner worthy of your calling. What are we waiting for? Most if not all of us are not walking in a worthy way. Why? Examine your life. In the gospel, the unworthy are made infinitely worthy. I want you to think about even the word infinitely. You are infinitely worthy. Your worth is not just exceeding, it it is unending. God found you so valuable that He gave His own Son on a cross that you might be with Him forever. That is infinitely worthy. You are infinitely worthy. I was talking with Adam Bostic this week about this very thing, and I was just asking, why is why do we find it so hard? Why would we not want to walk out in this infinite worthiness? He said something because he brews beer and he's very wise. He said, "I'm not sure that we appreciate or see the breadth of our deception." It would be easy if we were deceived by just one thing, but most often for most of us, it is an accumulation of many small lies, and I think He's right. I think He's right. Some of us, myself included, are trying to find our worthiness in the fading light of this world. When we describe the things, when I was describing the things that the world finds valuable, I've got to tell you it is hard for me to remember that those things are lies. At the end of days, when I meet my Creator, I will not be valued by what is in my bank account or the things that I wear. That is not how I will find my worth, and yet so many of us, so many of us find it hard to put off the world and understand that the things that it says are worthy are unworthy of us. They are unbecoming of us as children of the great king, the inheritors of an entire kingdom. Why do we believe it? Why do we believe that those things are so valuable? For others of us, if we're being honest, we're not walking out in a worthy way because we are walking out in unrepentant and secret sin. Here in this room, a lot of us aren't walking out in a worthy way because we have this secret hidden sin that we've struggled with from maybe even uh, childhood that continues to follow us along. And if we're hurting our consciences by being an unrepentant and secret sin, there's no way for us to continue walking in a worthy way because we're going to be consumed by it. It's going to turn us inside out. It is going to uncreate us. It's going to cause death. We're not walking out because we're walking in unrepentant sin. Lastly, I think still others of us um, truly are in Christ. I think that the majority of people in this room, I pray, are in Christ, but we've been lured by the sirens of an apathetic faith. We are are, we are in the kingdom of God, but we believe that it's something that we don't have to necessarily walk out in. I think that this is exactly why Paul is writing this section of the letter. He's trying to tell us, listen, I have an urgent message for you. You, I've been so encouraged, you Ephesians, I've heard of your faithfulness, but I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling because he knows how easy it is to not do that, to be apathetic in your faith. So as we are unified in our mission to see a revival of joyful worship that advances into every generation, let us be bold and courageous to dismiss the fading glories this world tries to entice and lie to us with. Let us be fearless and confess our hidden sins first to the Lord and to one another. As you get in, I mean, if you need, if you, this is one of the things that I'm most excited about. Well, I know that there's... We've spent so long building tethers in these small communities that we call city groups. We, we've spent a long time tethering ourselves to one another, and, and right now we're, we're shaking some of that up, and it is painful for some of us, but let me tell you what my hope is for some of it. My hope is, is that some of that would shake us And that we would find the courage to be real with one another and to uh, out hidden sin and to be gracious and loving and speak truth to one another in a way that we are, are able to believe the gospel in a new way. I hope so much that these discipleship groups allow for us to confess our hidden sins to one another. And finally, I want for us to be intentional to raise out of a tepid worship If you're wondering, Chris, why why are you allowing for our church to go through such upheaval, such change? It's because when I've evaluated the past, my worship has been tepid. I think our our church's uh, worship has been tepid. I think it's been lukewarm. Let us rise out of tepid worship and learn to walk out in worthy worship together and I pray God would you do it through the book of Ephesians pray with me oh Lord God create in us clean hearts and renew a right spirit within us cast us not away from your presence and and don't don't dare take your Holy Spirit for us we need him Restore unto us this church in this day, Lord. Restore unto us the joy of Your salvation and uphold us in Your Spirit. Do this in us that as an overflow, we might be enabled to walk in a way worthy of Your Son, which You sacrificed on the cross, and teach us and enable us to study the book of Ephesians together and learn what it is to walk in revived and joyful worship. Father, we need you. Father, I pray that as we begin to uh, sing songs and uh, sign commitments and all of the other things that you have planned for us today, Lord, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called, Father that we wouldn't try to white-knuckle it or do it ourselves, but Lord, that we would confess our inability. We confess our inability, Father, to conjure this up in ourselves. I am unable to do this, Father. Would you help us to walk in a manner worthy of your gospel today? Father, when we pray these things in the one powerful name that can accomplish them, that is our Savior, Jesus. Amen.